about here this morning, okay? So let's pray again, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing. We'll, we'll go through the message. Father, we thank you for uh, your love and your grace to us. Thank you for Brother Bill. Thank you for the Gideons. We thank you for such an amazing testimony. And we just hear these every time the Gideons come, of just one story after the other of how you have been in the work of rescuing souls. And so we thank you that we have the privilege of being a part of all of that. Thank you that out of a, a simple $5 bill, that we can purchase the eternal word of God that will go and be used by you without question. So thank you for this privilege. Thank you for our gathering today, especially as we are right here now at the, at the eve almost of Christmas and this blessed time of year. Now honor yourself as we honor you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of cards, I just want to say quickly thank you all for the cards. Debbie and I appreciate it very much. Thank you for your kindness and your gifts. We've been with you a lot of years, and you still give us cards, so I'm not sure what that means other than uh, you're okay with us still sticking around for a little bit, so appreciate that very, very much. All right, well, so this is the coming close to the end of the Advent season. You know, we've been lighting the candles, and so we've done hope, peace, and joy. Today is love, and uh, sorry the pink one is a little burnt. That's because the people in front of you just couldn't stand it. I had to go ahead and light it for their sakes. And, uh, but that's okay. It'll, it'll uh, serve its purpose. Now, Friday night, when you come to the Christmas Eve service, do you hear how I said that? When you come to the Christmas Eve service, we'll light the, the white candle. And it's going to be amazing. You know why it's going to be amazing? Because the Spirit of the living God is going to be here with us in this very room. Imagine that. Praise his name. So this last candle is the candle of love. And uh, you know John 3.16, for God so what? loved the world. And what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. For what reason? So that we would have eternal life. Praise his name for that. So this morning I've decided to title the message, What Christ's Coming Means for You and Me. And I thought we can't go by Christmas without reading the Christmas story. As many of you have heard that over the years, some of you, it will be somewhat new. You'll hear it again, but I wanted you to stand and let's read all 20 verses of Luke, Luke chapter 2. If you're not able to stand through all those verses, that's certainly okay. We just want to honor the Lord with our hearts, uh, but uh, do, using our bodies to do so as well. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was, for the, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to the one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he, was, as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Amen. You may be seated. Such a wonderful story, isn't it? And not just the story, but the eternal truth of God and his divine providence of how he sent his son to the earth to be our savior. Well, we couldn't get by again, as I said, without reading that this morning, just because we've not been dealing with the Christmas story per se in the way that we just read. And so I wanted you to have an opportunity to do that. Christmas Eve, we'll certainly look at that much more closely as we study through or think through and praise God through the moments of the advent leading up to the birth of Christ. And so every year, though, as I think about Christmas and even Easter and the significant calendar events of the church, I try to come up with something a little bit different or approach the subject from a little bit different angle. It's challenging, quite honestly, because so many of you have heard the message of uh, Christmas uh, or any of the major messages over the years so many times that you could probably recite them backwards if you had to, uh, almost literally. And so I try to come up with something that would approach the subject a little different and differently. And so this morning, I'm not going to talk about the scripture that I just read there as much as I want to talk about what God did for us through sending his son to be who he is. And so part of my thinking is based on the fact of what we're hearing in the culture right now. And I hope you listen to the culture and are constantly thinking in your mind and looking at scripture to determine how best to engage the culture. That's what we're called to do. So I do that in my own mind and and just thinking of how to do such things and thinking more so about what the culture thinks about God. And I know the answer to that question is probably nothing. Uh, Most of the culture doesn't think about God. Uh, But maybe there are those that do, especially when they encounter something like what Bill was talking about from Sandy, who just reaches in the back seat and there's a Bible. Uh, God does some amazing things with that. Uh, The real question is, though, what do they do with God? Again, the answer is easily known when they just dismiss him. But that becomes a, a very pertinent question for all of us to think about because it translates into our own minds and lives about what do we do with God and what do we really think about him? And so that's where we're going this morning. So let's go back in time for just a minute and understand the mind and the timing of what was happening historically with the Jews. Now, for many of you, if you've been following with us in Matthew, you know a lot of this already. But those of you who have not, maybe watching online or just listening this morning for the first time, I need to go back for the sake of the context. When Jesus was born, there had been a long-awaited anticipation of the Messiah, He was the promised one. He was the one that would give peace to the nation of Israel, mainly because they had been so challenged and so challenged by the oppressors that had put them under their thumbs over the years. And you can just go back in history. In the history books talk about this. You can go back in the Bible, of course, and you can see all of this. And through all of that, they had been understanding that the prophet 
or the Messiah would come. And that came through passages even like Isaiah and many others. Isaiah 11, 1 through 4 said, A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he see, his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Now, you understand, if you've been with us, that often the prophets speak in the past and also foretelling the future. That's a good indication or a good situation that Isaiah was doing. But it was on those passages that the Jews would focus their attention on the Messiah being the one who would slay the wicked. When he comes, he will put them under us and he will rule them with an iron rod. Now, this is talking about the time of the millennium. We understand that biblically. But in their minds in that day, they didn't understand all of that. The scriptures were not completed in the sense that we have them for us today. And so their interpretation was the Messiah will be the ultimate king of Israel. He will be our ruler, suppressing all those nations that have suppressed us. So, in century after century and year after year, there was a great anticipation of the Messiah's arrival, but unfortunately a growing lack of hope as well. Because as they watched their own lives and saw that the Messiah was not coming after one oppressor after another and continual burdens putting on them, getting worse and worse, their life just became more and more miserable. And so sadly they lost hope that the Messiah was actually coming, at least many of them did. Now we know biblically that that lack of the Messiah coming or at least the fulfillment of God's promise when uh, they thought was going to happen was due to their rejection of God, their unwillingness to listen to the commandments of God. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks in our text in Matthew, uh, God had, they had developed traditions that they were following instead of what God had said. And it just was a continual barrage of them doing what they thought was right, but really feeding themselves in an incorrect way. But according to God's divine timing and the fact that God is always faithful to his promises, he did just what he said he was going to do. Whether they understood the timing or not, and that's kind of us, right? We don't understand God's timing and the way that he does things, but in his own divine providence, he will do exactly what he says he will do. And he sent his son on a quiet night, in a little manger, in a little stable, if you will, in a little town called Bethlehem, all foretold by the prophets, perfectly, exactly as the Lord had foretold for centuries, the Messiah of Israel did come. He had arrived on the scene. And heaven rejoiced. As we read the text in Luke, you know that the angels told the shepherds of what was happening and who the Messiah would be for them, that he would save them from their sins, giving the message of what the Messiah was really to be. I think there was also a real declaration on the darkness of war, or a declaration of war on the darkness, I should say, as God was triumphantly saying, Satan, you are now defeated because the Messiah, my son, has come. And again, so God had fulfilled his promises. The question really is then, back to what we started with, is that what does that mean for Israel? And then what does it really mean for us? Well, for Israel, the answer is pretty simple. 
the Messiah had come. God had fulfilled his promise. The king was here. But as you know, he was not the king that they thought he was going to be. I've already discussed that. He was not the picture of anyone that anyone would ever think would be the ruling king of a nation. And so they rejected him as well. But again, God is faithful to his promises. And so instead of opening the hearts of the Jews, he closed the hearts of the Jews until his divine time would work in the hearts of the Gentiles. That's you and me. God opened to us the privilege of knowing him. And so even today, you and I have the blessing of being a part of the church as God's people because of what God has done for us through Jesus. Which now comes to our second question, which is what does this really mean for us? We understand that in the divine timetable of God, God will rescue those Jews who will have their eyes opened by his work. And that's coming. Paul made that very clear in the book of Romans. That's God's work. There are many Jews that are coming to salvation in Christ even now. My father was one of those who became a Messianic Jew. But the real question for you and me is what do we do with this Jesus and what does it really mean for us that Jesus has come? I'm going to give you just a couple of points this morning that are not necessarily profound, but they are extremely profound, really, when you think about them. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek the other way, because when you hear this, you're going to go, yeah, I've heard that before, but I want you to process this deeply, if you will, just to think about the goodness of the Lord and what he's done for us. Number one, for you and me, what this means is that we become his children. We become his children. Now just think about that for a minute. And again, like I said, for most people when they hear that, they think, okay, that's not necessarily a big deal, but it is a huge deal that you and I become the children of the living God. Listen to how John would write this in John chapter 1. As many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Beloved, this is such an important truth, such a powerful truth here, because John says that our salvation is not based on anything like intellectual knowledge. You know, We don't conjure up somehow this belief system in God or create this God who he really is. It's not, he's not some emotional satisfaction for us or anything else, but that he is both Lord and Savior. That's who he is. Notice John writes this, as many as received him. That word received means to grasp or to hold on to, to take hold of, if you will, to obtain meaning that what we grasp is that Jesus is not just a good man, as some would teach. He's not just a good teacher, although he was a teacher and a great teacher. He's not just a rebel against world forces, which is, again, what the Jews were looking for, or God who give me what I want when I want it or how I want it or what I think it should be like, or even a God who will take away all the pressures of life and fix everything that I need to have fixed in my life or whatever's wrong with me. That's not the purpose of who he is. We grasp a God who found it good and right. Listen to this. Who found it good and right in his own way to make all who put their hope in him to be his children. It was his work. It's his idea. The only reason that you are born again is because God decided in his infinite wisdom to make you his child. Now you had to respond to his call. 
But he set his love upon you and he created you to be his child. And as a result of that, being his child, we are blessed with this incredible internal joy that nobody can even explain. We have a hard time explaining it ourselves. How we can go through trial after trial and trouble after trouble and difficulty after difficulty and still remain joyful in our spirits. Maybe not every moment of our day or every situation is joyful in itself, but there's always that resounding internal joy that just comes to life in the midst of the darkest of times. And it's not because we receive the truth of Christ, of who he is and what he did, but that God gave us the right. That's what John said. He gave us the privilege, is what he really means there, to understand what I just said. He chose us to be his children. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. What's the gift? The faith is the gift. If you look at the grammatical structure of how this is written in Greek, you understand that it's faith that even God gives to us to believe so that we will become his children. Verse 9, not as a result of works. In other words, God does this as a gift because he knows that you'll boast about what you do. If I'm reading this in a very common way to think about it. So basically, Paul again is saying it was God's grace that gave us the faith to believe. It's not us. It's not our works or anything else. And listen to this. Paul would say this to the church in Thessalonica, that God even chose us to believe even before time began. Beloved, chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, we should always give thanks to God for you. And that's what Paul's doing. It was a good church and he wanted to acknowledge them for their faithfulness. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, and here's why we're thanking God for you, because he chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. If you go back to John 1 and verse 13 that we just read in the opening, you'll, you'll see that John clarifies that salvation is by the work of God, also by saying in the latter part of the verse there that salvation is not attainable through any kind of heritage. You can't just be somebody in this world and just become a part of God's kingdom. It's not by racial heritage or anything else or personal desires. That's what he means by the, both the blood and the flesh. Just because you were born into some people group or some nationality, that's not how salvation comes or through some personal desire or some man-made system. But by God alone do we become his children. I suppose we could say it this way. In other words, what the coming of Jesus means for you and me is that you're not his child because you did anything to gain his approval on your own, but that God opened your heart to believe in him and believe in him even before eternity began as we know it. That's a powerful, profound, very difficult thing to understand, but yet it's truth right from the word of the Lord, which is again what Paul said to the church in Ephesus chapter 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons. And we're adopted because his first calling was to the Jewish people that rejected him, as I said earlier. And so we've been grafted in, Paul will later say. 
We've been added into the family through Christ Jesus himself according to the kind intention of his will. Why did God do this? Because God is kind and God has a purpose in his work in everything that he does. How else can you explain a lady like Sandy having purchased a car from a drug addict two years prior to that, about to kill herself, reach back and find the word of God just haphazardly laying there between the seats? How do you explain that? How do you explain, as I was telling Bill earlier, the story that I've shared with you in the past, some of you may have not heard this, about the diver who was underwater doing his work welding and he got distracted by a piece of paper floating by him as he's trying to do his work and he grabs it and he puts it in his pocket. Later he comes up, he's checking out his suit, pulls the paper out and realizes it's a Bible tract. He reads it and gives his life to the Lord. How do you explain that? How do you explain a guy who's driving down the road and he's handing out tracks and he normally hands them out in wrapped in cellophane, clear cellophane, but in this instance his, his wife didn't have any clear cellophane so all she had was the red Christmas cellophane kind of thing and he wraps it up in that and he's driving down the road and he sees a guy underneath a van on the side of the road working on his car and all he can see is his legs and his feet coming out and so he tosses the thing over the car like this and it ra- uh, falls down. He's looking in the rearview mirror, sees it roll on under the van, the guy comes out of there thinking that it was a stick of dynamite, which he later told the man. But this testimony of the man under the van is he came out, he thought somebody was trying to kill him. He reads the text, reads the tract, gives his life to the Lord, contacts the man who threw it under there and tells him the whole story. How do you explain that? It's the word of the Lord. It's the work of the Lord. God does the work. Paul would say this, in an antici- and in just an explosion of praise to what he had just written, he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved or through Christ Jesus. Father, what does Christmas mean to you and me? Christmas means that you have been chosen by God to be the recipients of his grace if your heart is open to him. I thought about this amazing truth and I thought about how many children are not loved by their parents this way. You know, parents are good people for the most part. We, my wife and I, have tried to be good people to our children. Uh, Sometimes children, though, turn out to be more of an irritation in life for parents. I'm not saying that about us. That's certainly not the case. But to some people, and you know this to be true, you hear parents say they're more of an irritation than they're a blessing something to keep them from doing what they want to do in life, and you know how that goes with people. I thought about how many of you may have grown up in homes where you were that child, where you were treated that way, and you grew up as a, and in your testimony you would say, yeah, that was me. I grew up not knowing the love of a parent. You didn't have a father or mother to love you like God loves you. Many people have faced life just like that, as a result of their parents not caring enough to love them or to nurture them and to bring them up in the ways that parents should. And even now, some people are finding a great challenge in this Christmas season. I've talked to some of you, and I even have a a family member, an an extended family member, that give this testimony, which is, and this is what I'm going to say, is not a political statement, it's just an example. 
that because of COVID, there are families now that are not joining together. I've had someone tell me that they're not being allowed to even see their own mother because of not having the, the shot or whatever. There's such a fear there. And, 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 and I'm not judging the right or wrongness of that. I'm just simply, again, using this as an illustration. My own sister-in-law said to me some months ago when COVID first started that uh, she and my brother run a store uh, a couple hours from here, and so they're very busy all the time. And she hadn't seen her mother for a while, a woman that we love dearly, great woman. But when she did come, when the mother came into the store, she, my sister-in-law wanted to hug her, and, and her mother wouldn't let her. And she was just so heartbroken over that. Now, I understand all the ramifications and the being careful, and I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just simply saying that as earthly parents... We can be very distracted by the things of life, some being very good, some not being so good. There's just lots of things that can do that. What I'm trying to say to us is that as God's children, he will never separate himself or distance himself from us in any way. That's how valuable we are to him. We have a heavenly father who doesn't need to stay away from us for any reason whatsoever or who doesn't see us as a burden or an added expense to our life, but precious creations to him. And I just love that. So the blessing we have is being just that. So much so, secondly, he has given to each of us, those who are his children, his spirit to live in us. I want you to think about this as well. I don't know when the last time was you just sat and pondered the fact that the spirit of the living God lives inside you. That is a mind-blowing truth. It's no more beautifully displayed than when Jesus was about to be crucified. Such a terrible time for the disciples, as you can imagine. If you just try to put yourself there with them. They had seen so much, been through so much, given up everything to follow Jesus, and now they're learning that he's going to die. He's going to go through this horrible crucifixion. And you can only imagine what loss they were feeling and the fear that was growing in their hearts under the situation and the context of the time. And he knew that they would need comforting. And so he says in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Listen to that. That's the Spirit, capital S, of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. Listen. Just be reminded that when you're thinking about the world, even in this holiday season and any other time of life, when you're so desperately wanting the world to understand and get it and see the things that you see and understand the things that you see, John has made very clear here through Jesus' own words that people cannot, they cannot understand because the world cannot receive him because it does not see him or know him. The world doesn't understand. That's a whole separate message, but we need to remember that. But Jesus says, but you know him to the disciples because he abides with you and will be in you. And prior to this, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know that the Holy Spirit would come on people at times. We have lots of examples of that. But now Jesus is saying, when I leave, I'm going to comfort you so much. I'm telling you that the spirit of God will no longer just come on you, but he's going to continually and forever be in you. The word helper here means one called to come alongside. That's the helper, which really encompasses a lot of areas. And let me just share a couple of those with you, which is 
the comforter, as we've already said, but also counselor, as Missy brought up and we sang, encourager. Isn't that wonderful? Just a couple of those definitions. As his children, you and I always have a father, excuse me, the father's spirit to help us no matter what our situation is. We can't find the words for the hurt we're experiencing. Have you ever been there? When your life is being so crushed by something or some situation that you just don't even know what the words are to speak? Or the confusion over some situation or the damage done to you by others? He comforts us in our darkest times. Again, some of you have had a tough year. Couple, couple years, but I'm just thinking about this last year as we're facing a new year. And I'm not thinking about COVID necessarily. It could be that, but many of you as a subset of COVID have had great job pressures on you, a lot more difficulties in just performing your job with the, the lack of employees that are there today and, and whatnot and all those things that come with that. Of course, the health situations, you know, Hamp's wife, Chris, has been dealing with her own things. Many of you have been dealing with your own things. I just got a letter, an update letter from uh, Jay Roberts, who uh, is one of the missionaries we serve. I've mentioned uh, that serves uh, in the jails, jail ministries. Um, We support them. But as you know, Jay has been suffering through uh, cancer. And I just got a wonderful update from him that he has found some help in Mexico, of all places, at a place that is uh, run by... uh, faith-filled people, faith-filled doctors. But it's been a real challenge for them. And praise the Lord for doctors. Praise the Lord for nurses and people who give such wonderful, wonderful care. But the point is, as much as these things and these people are comforts to us, God says there's no greater comfort than my spirit who will be in you. Not to mention counselor again, as we've already talked about, how we need guidance in this life. Do you find that to be true? Do you need help in this life? you need guidance? Many of us are traveling down roads that we've never navigated before. Whether it be just getting older or whether it be dealing with some situation, we're finding ourselves saying, Lord, I've never been to this place in life. I need some guidance. I need some help along the way. And I know a lot of people have got it all figured out. But most people need a lot of guidance, no matter what the age is or some place wherever they are in life. I just got... Two text messages this last week from people, one I know, one I do not know that I'm going to be meeting with soon. I guess they had heard that I do some counseling and uh, they wanted to get together with me. But the question on on one of them's mind was, uh, actually both of them was, hey, I'm going through some things this past year and I need some help being guided through them. And so people are constantly looking for someone to help them be guided through the situations of life. The point is the Holy Spirit does that for all of God's children, for all of his children. How blessed it is to know that no matter what you and I are facing, the Spirit of God is living in us, guiding us, maneuvering us through the obstacles over and under and around and about so that we will have the things that we need and be able to be satisfied and fulfilled in this life and get us through those most difficult times to help us make decisions How many of you all are facing decisions that you have to make? Great challenges. The timing in which to make them. Again, he helps us navigate these things in life when there doesn't seem to be very clear direction in the situation. And don't you find that you need encouragement in life? Who doesn't need encouragement? 
Who doesn't need to know that somebody's there for them? How many times have you felt in your own heart, I have no one to help me with this? How many of you have said, I have no one to talk to? I have no one that I can trust. I have no one that will really understand my needs and what I'm really feeling and and what I need in this life. We need each other to push us and to motivate us and to help us with encouragement. Think about the people who are the key people in your life and have been the key people in your life. Coaches, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, all those people who have cared so much about you. The point is, the God of the universe lives in us. It's just absolutely astounding. Who could better motivate us? Who could be a better encourager than the Spirit of God who holds all things together, Colossians 1 says. The Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit holds all things together. If you were with us in our Colossians study some years ago, remember we dealt with that, that even the smallest, minutest particle that sustains the universe is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. I was thinking about that as I saw a little news blip come across my computer that was talking about the Voyager 1 space explorer. Do you remember that thing? 44 years ago, it was launched to go out and gather information in the universe. Well, for a time, NASA lost contact with it, but they just regained contact with it. It's taking nine hours for the information to connect back and forth. You know why? Do you know how far that Voyager 1 has made it out into the solar system? Let me give you the number. I just saw it this morning. 14.455 billion miles away from earth. Not million, billion. If you wanted to have an idea of what that looks like, a million dollars would be like a little dinky pile. A billion dollars is like a mountain. So here we have man understanding that the universe must be far bigger than 14 and a half billion miles, at least from Earth. And the amazing thing is that the scripture says that Jesus holds it all together through the power and the work of the Spirit. I haven't even mentioned the fact that the Spirit is our intercessor, which means he prays for us. That's what scripture says. Listen to what Paul says. The Spirit also helps our weaknesses. We do not even know how to pray as we should. You ever been there? You're up against this situation and you're like, Lord, I don't, I don't even know. I don't have the words. I don't, know, I don't even know what to say. Sometimes all you can do is cry out the name Jesus because you can't even think of what to say. And Paul is acknowledging that. We don't even know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, again, there are times where you just, in whatever situation is, you don't know how you pray. And the Holy Spirit responds by saying, hey, I got this. I know what you're saying. I will intercede for you and I will, and I don't understand this at all in my humanness. All I can tell you is what God says here is that the Spirit is saying, I will pray for you. 
And by the way, I think he would also say, you need to know that your prayer will be heard. It's not like I got to go before the Father. And again, I don't understand how this works in the Trinity other than there's unique roles there. I'll go to the Father and the Father who knows my mind will give the answer. And that's what Paul just said in verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? In other words, every person knows somewhat about what's going on inside of them. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So God is saying to us, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us because we are His children who intercedes for us between the Father and ourselves because He is the one who does the work in that way. And again, I don't understand all of that. But the reality is, it's what God tells us to be true. And as encouraging as all of those are, one of my favorites is the fact that he is our advocate. Advocate is a defense attorney. Um, For those of you who understand this better than I do, you can correct me afterwards. But all I understand about that is, is that an advocate speaks on our behalf, does the work for us, A defense attorney's job is to not violate the law in the righteous sense of the word or go around the law to get the defendant off the hook, but use the law to make a way for the defendant's crime to be paid for. Yes, hopefully to get them off, but satisfying the law so that the debt is paid, eventually allowing that person to go free or at least some lesser sentence. And so the defense attorney, as our defense attorney, when we sin... And we do sin, right? In fact, have you wondered how many times this past week you have sinned before the Father? That's a tough one. You sit and ponder that for just a moment. And by the way, the closer you get to the Lord in your relationship with Him, the more you see your sin before the Father. And this becomes much clearer as God is saying this to us, that the Holy Spirit then argues our case. He pleads over us because we've been forgiven of all of our sin. That's a done deal. And the condemnation that we deserve, which is eternal damnation, has been satisfied. But yet we're told here, and again, I don't understand this either in all the way God puts this, but all this seemingly meaning that Jesus, even though he is not on the cross, just the opposite, somehow the work of the Spirit is able to satisfy all the ways that we sin before the Father because of what Christ did on the cross. And because of his work, we can have that continued inheritance, which is reserved for us in heaven all the time. Which leads us to the final and really third blessing, which is we become the temples of the living God. The temples of the living God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not of your own? I was telling somebody the other day uh, about how, at least in my mind, I have appreciated how the Catholic Church, and I'm just using this as an illustration, how the Catholic Church has held on to the majesty of God in the building, or the look of the building. If you saw some of the pictures in some one of the songs we were singing, you saw those beautiful stained glass windows and the high arch ceilings and whatnot. And I'm not saying every church should do that, but there is a sense of majesty represented in that kind of structure, which was the purpose. I'm not agreeing with Catholic theology, so don't hear me say that. 
I'm just simply saying sometimes we miss the majesty of God in the earthliness of this life. What I hear Paul saying to the Corinthians is that don't miss the majesty of the Holy Spirit who doesn't live in a building, but he lives in you. And the point was that he was making to them was don't ever think that your sin is okay because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Some of the thoughts were, well, I can't sin in the temple, but it doesn't matter where else I sin because the temple is holy and I would never dare think of sinning in the temple. Well, Paul's saying, look, the temple is just a building now because as a Christian, the spirit of God lives in you and you are now the temple. So don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, one who pleads your case for you. And there's just nothing more beautiful than some of these things. They're just the many, many wonderful truths that God has given to us as we think about what Christmas means for us. That it was on that moment in that night, many, many thousands of years ago, where the Lord Jesus came to do these things that we just talked about so that we would have the privilege and the joy of being the children of the living God, indwelt by His Spirit, who comforts us and leads us and protects us and guides us in our most difficult and challenging moments in this life, so that we can continually praise Him with our lips, yes, but mostly from our hearts. And if you can identify with that, then this Christmas and every Christmas should be a time of real rejoicing. Not because of what's bad in this life, but because of what's bad, God is on the throne even still and is doing his work in his people. That's a lot to be thankful for, isn't it? A lot to be excited about. The real question is, what are you thinking about this morning? You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a person who speaks for somebody else in authority. Ask yourself the question, would I choose me as an ambassador? You'd probably say, "Eh, probably not. But that's what God did. Because of his son and the spirit in you, he chose you and he chose me to be his ambassadors. To be the proclaimers of his truth. To, if nothing else, just hand out a Bible or something else that would eventually lead a person to his son and salvation. So, what a Savior, what a Lord, what a great God. I hope you'll come Friday night as we celebrate right on the eve of how the churches for centuries celebrated the birth of Jesus. And just come knowing, leaving your cares at the door, knowing that the Spirit of God lives in you. And if he doesn't, and you want to know how he can live in your heart, then let's talk about it because as Bill was bringing up, there is great joy in knowing that that can be a real truth. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your kindness. Lord, we thank you that your spirit does indeed live in us. We thank you for your your calling us to be your children. Thank you, Father, that even when we do sin, that you have made a way for us to be made right with you, not losing our salvation, but forever enjoying the presence of you in us. And so we come to you this morning giving our hearts to you as always and asking you to bless and honor yourself 
as we look forward to the days ahead. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.